Welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, I'm joined by Guy Rambo. Hey, Guy, thanks for coming on. This is third time, I think, I've had you on. Yeah, thanks for having me again, Leo. I think you're right. Yeah, third time. So, I forgot, first time we talked about building apps, future-proofing apps. Last time, we were going to talk about AV Foundation, but we just, like, glowed about the new M1 processors. Um, <laughs> luckily, did you get a new Mac? It's on the way, yes. The okay. M1 Max 14-inch MacBook Pro. Okay, I'm not getting a Pro. I'm waiting for the new iMac. So, luckily, we mm-hmm. won't be talking about that today. We'll actually be talking about some of the work you've done with AirBuddy, and then, yeah, we'll get into Bluetooth and how AirPods work. But before we get into that, I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, so I'm a Mac and iOS developer. I'm based in Brazil. And through my company, I develop a few apps. Uh, My main product at the moment being AirBuddy, which, as you know, is this little app that helps people interact with their AirPods and other Apple and Beats headsets on macOS, which, as you know, is more complicated than it should. And uh, I'm sure we'll unpack that. I am a big fan of AirBuddy. I love it. Um, So I have iPad 5, six, one of those. I have the iPhone SE. I have an iPhone 8. I have my 11 Pro Max, my main personal phone. And then I have a 11 as well. So I have a few iOS devices and then I have the two Apple watches that I own and just everybody is perfect um, for keeping track of battery. When we have someone who wants to borrow one of these devices to play a game or something like that, I got to make sure they're charged. So I'm loving everybody uh, and I love the stuff that it does with the AirPods as well. So thank you for that. It's a fantastic app. If people haven't tried it, definitely give it a try. Oh, notifications. That's been a really good feature as well that I, I'm a big yeah. fan of. So thank you for the work on that. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for using it. I'm glad it's useful. I knew I was reaching the right public when, uh, you know, the little list that shows all of your devices. Yeah. We used to to have like a maximum height uh, and then it would scroll. Uh, and I got like a couple of people requesting that I made the list expand to fit <laughs> all of the devices, which I had reached that point with my list of devices because I do have a lot of devices here. But uh, I personally didn't think about that. But then a few people were like, hey, I I have a lot of devices. Could you make the list grow up to as tall as would fit on screen, please? (laughs) Wow. So have you gotten any bug reports about it being notch safe? I assume it is, right? Like as long as you don't have to, your don't have too many like icons up there, you're probably fine. Yeah, the thing that bothers me is that currently there are apparently there are some bugs with uh, macOS on the new Macs where it will hide some of the uh, status items depending on how many menus you have and the wow. size of the screen and the position of the notch. So if things grow too much, you might end up in a situation where the AirBuddy icon is like behind the notch. And that's not an AirBuddy thing. That's like any menu bar app thing. But I'm sure Apple will figure something out. And um, I'm really happy for the folks who make Bartender because I'm sure 
their app is is getting a lot more traction now uh, thanks to these Macs. And I personally have never used Bartender myself, but I'm currently looking at uh, adopting it once I get my my new MacBook Pro. Do you have a lot of icons at the top? I don't. Currently, I have uh, Dropbox, which I probably shouldn't. I have AirBuddy, Camo, which I'm using for the webcam, Raycast, uh, Postgres, Seam Genie, a great app to manage uh, iOS simulators, and 1Password. Uh, that's okay. like the third-party ones. And then I have like the volume, Wi-Fi, right. and all the good stuff. Yeah, I got rid of a lot of like system ones because I just don't care except for maybe like bluetooth and sound. well sound moved over which is really nice but like yeah i'll have like a few other ones that i might use now and then but i try to keep it minimal of course i'm on a 27 inch so it's not as big of a deal but yeah control center is great oh, I, I love the fact that they brought that to the mac because it just has so many things in there that you have to access every now and then uh, opening system preferences would be too much of a hassle but having the icon there would also be too much of uh, uh, inconvenience to have that all the time. So being able to have Control Center there with all of the modules that you want to control every now and then is, is really great. And I really wish Apple would let us developers add stuff to Control Center. I think that could be an elegant solution for the problem of no menu bar space for all of your menu bar items. Yeah, they need to add um, but, like an ellipsis or something, or or like a way to set preferences, especially with the with the um with the notch, right? It's like you need to be able to set priority on stuff that you want to show up at the top. So yeah, but I think they they don't look at control center as anyone else's uh, playground to to play with. Uh, it's been like on iOS since forever, and they never allowed third party apps to to add modules to control center. So. Don't think that's happening anytime soon, unfortunately. Yeah. Hey, folks, I wanted to let you know once again about Linode. Linode has been absolutely awesome at hosting my websites, and I highly recommend you checking them out. If you're looking at starting that new server side Swift app, then you'll definitely want to take a look at Linode. Linode has been ranked as one of the top infrastructure as a service providers, and if you're a developer, they're going to be perfect for you. Their simple, easy-to-use API, command line, or user interface is easy for developers to get started. They have Kubernetes, video streaming services, cloud GPUs, machine learning, and all sorts of other apps. It's highly affordable and a great way to get started if you need your own custom server located anywhere around the world. They have free 100% human support that is 24-7, 365 days. They have brand new servers located in Toronto and Mumbai, and they're a great alternative if you're looking for something besides one of the more bigger cloud services. Try the link in the show notes below and receive $100 in credit. And if you're looking at getting started on that server-side Swift app, check out the link also in my show notes for the presentation I did for 360 iDev on how to get started with getting that Vapor app set up. Again, go to the link in the show notes below to try Linode and get $100 in credit today. Thank you for listening. Enjoy getting started and enjoy the rest of the episode. So before we begin, I wanted to ask, so you're wearing the Macs, right? The AirPods Max right now. How do you like them? Yes. 
Oh, I love them. Uh, and I'm using them uh, wired. Uh, I prefer to use them that way when I'm doing these types of uh, recordings. I also use it wired when I'm editing uh, Stack Trace, uh, which is my podcast with uh, John Sandell, and I am the editor for that podcast. So I like to use them with the little wire, the stupid wire that I have. I had to pay like $500 for. So no, it's not that expensive, but it's expensive uh, for a wire. Do you have to buy it from Apple? You do. I Oh. There are probably third-party ones by now, uh, but when I first got the AirPods Max, the Apple one was the only option, basically. Um, but yeah, uh, even though I had to, to get the wire uh, separately, I think uh, it's, a, it's a really good device. And like most people don't need the wired option, so it kind of makes sense that it's not a, an included thing because, yeah, I think most people won't use it, but... For this type of work, like so that I can hear myself in real time and then hear you at the same time while we're recording, I think this is great. Yeah. And I assume you need that to keep the audio in sync for editing and recording and things like that and quality. So before we get into the API stuff, I'm just curious on your opinion on AirPods in general. Did you get the AirPods 3 by any chance? They are on the way. Uh, not okay. here yet. So... I had a pair of AirPods 3. I was not a fan. Mm. I like them. They're fine. But I am a big fan of pro the pros that I'm wearing now. I like the little plastic tip. More so, like, I like the plastic tip more so than, like, the noise canceling and stuff. Like, to me, they just fit a lot better. And for me, the AirPods 3 just, like, were not a great fit. Like, I like mm. the size. I like that they're small. But, like, like, even the AirPods 1, I feel like, have a better fit than the AirPods 3 do. But what what pairs do you own? All of them, <laughs> multiple. Yeah, yes, for software testing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I have a, a bunch of um, old AirPods, the the first generation, the second generation, and of course I also have the Pros. I think I have like four pairs of the AirPods Pro, and uh, of course on a day to day basis I only use one pair of the AirPods Pro, uh, but I have others for testing because. I keep a pair in another um, paired with another iCloud account. And there's also like, uh, I was really glad that I had more than one pair because Apple during this beta season released a beta of the AirPods Pro firmware. So I wouldn't have the guts to to put that into my main uh, daily carry. So I was able to uh, flash the uh, beta firmware to a secondary pair that I could test with and see if it broke anything with everybody and also test the new features. So yeah, I have all of them and usually more than one. Uh, and uh, the AirPods 3 are on, on the way here so that I can do some additional testing. But from the initial testing done by my users and, and some friends with AirPods 3 and everybody, it seems to be working just fine. Yeah, it worked great. I think the only issue I had was the icon needs to be updated, I think. Yeah, yeah, that uh, was... that's also fixed already. Uh, you probably sure got it, it on day one, uh, and yes. the updates went out the day after the first day of the AirPods 3 on the market. Yeah, that makes sense. So I want to, maybe you can kind of explain the like... I want to get I want to get into like the technical details of AirPods, how they work. What kind of stuff have you found out working with AirBuddy as far as like how AirPods work and how the communication works and Bluetooth and all that stuff? Maybe you can get into the guts of that. Oh, that's fun. We could be here for hours. <laughs> so so what's the, how about this? How what's the 
biggest thing you've learned working on AirBuddy when it comes to AirPods? There, I'll start that way. Yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing is that I I didn't know much about Bluetooth w- uh, when I went into this project. And throughout my uh, years working on it, I've come to learn a lot about how Bluetooth works under the hood. Not even close to all of it. And I have, I would say, superficial understanding of most of the stack. But it's such a complicated technology that I would say it's extremely unlikely that any one engineer is going to know everything there is to know about Bluetooth because it is a very complicated technology. And I came to love it and hate it at the same time because it can be very frustrating sometimes. Yeah, we did an episode with Leah last year, a couple of years ago. She did a presentation at Swift Heroes on Bluetooth and kind of the history of it. So I'm really curious, like more focusing on the like the Swift. I assume did you do most of the code in Swift? Yep. Uh, the first version of Airbuddy, which I released in early 2019, was mostly Objective C, okay. but I migrated like it's probably like 95% Swift now. Okay. So like I'm really curious from like an API standpoint, like what what you've learned as far as the best way to like create an app that uses Bluetooth. Um, and like, especially dealing, what I've found like really challenging with Bluetooth is managing all these like different services and characteristics and things like that. And then making sure like, you know, oh, like I'm losing communication here or like how to handle certain errors, things like that maybe, uh, would be a good way to kind of get somebody acquainted, used to using, uh, the core (laughs) Bluetooth, uh, API. I'm not a native speaker, so I won't be able to help you there. Uh, so, <laughs> Whatever the Portuguese uh, word for it. I Honestly, I don't know. But uh, So with the API uh, side of things, I think the API is fine. Uh, like Core Bluetooth is a fine API. Uh, of course, it's uh, it feels kind of old because the only option you have with it is to use delegation. And yes. it, it makes yeah. heavy use of delegation. And it's heavily asynchronous in nature due to the nature of Bluetooth communications. So most uh, app developers are used to dealing with network requests and and things like that, which are usually you send a request and eventually you get a response or an error back. And with Bluetooth, it's not that simple uh, because just making a request in the first place, uh, and I'm, I'm saying request in terms of, Exchanging some data with a, an external device, not it's not that how it works. Like it's not you don't make requests, but even getting to the point where you can do the request takes several steps, which yes. are all highly asynchronous and have a high likelihoods of failure. So you have to keep all of that in mind when you're working on this sort of stuff. And the best way to deal with that that I found was to just um, abstract the hell out of it. <laughs> like, really hide the uh, intricacies of uh, Bluetooth communication from your higher level code, basically. So if, if you have a new, a new UI that you want to display something from a device, that's fine, but don't have any knowledge of Bluetooth in your UI layer or even the layer below that. Try to keep 
the core Bluetooth, and I say that both in terms of the core code dealing with Bluetooth and the core Bluetooth code, keep all of that as isolated as possible and try to create as nice an abstraction as you can on top of it. I feel like that's the recipe for success. If you start dealing with CB peripherals or CB central managers in your view controllers, I mean, that's fine for demos and testing, but you're going to be in a, a world of pain if you try to ship that in a real app. I tried, I, I attempted to create an app in Swift UI and was like trying to abstract <laughs> all that stuff away. But then like, like you said, there's like such a hierarchy of error handling and just like different things that you have to deal with with a Bluetooth that made it so complicated. And like, like I like that your approach was like abstraction because I think like, yeah, you want all the Bluetooth techie part, like kind of way away from your UI and like you want to manage that somewhere else. Kind of, kind of what you're saying, right? Yeah. And there are so many different ways uh, that you can use Bluetooth and, and so many ways that, devices can interact with each other. Uh, your Mac is, uh, or your iOS device is usually behaving as the central device. So it's going to be communicating with peripherals, which can be heart rate monitors or an Apple Watch or whatever device you can imagine. And the ways that you interact with these devices can be many different ways. And some devices will require you to do different types of communication with the same device. Uh, and that's where the multi-layer aspect of Bluetooth comes to mind. So you might have a device where all you have to do is read whatever the manufacturer data of the Bluetooth advertisement is, and you parse that. That's how AirPods work in the context of AirBuddy, basically. It's just listening for your AirPods advertising and parsing the data that they send out. That's the simplest form of Bluetooth Low Energy Communication, uh, where you're basically just observing the devices around you and displaying data about them. Uh, but then there's other types of devices where you have to do that, but also connect to the device and write a value to a characteristic that represents a command. So say you have like a media player and it has like the command service and the opcode characteristic and you send 0xAA to play and pause, for instance. So you have to deal with that and it might write to another characteristic to tell you if it's currently playing, uh, what the track is playing that is playing now and things like that. And then you have other, other layers like the uh, A2DP layer, which is a, a way for you to open a stream of data between uh, Bluetooth devices, uh, which is uh, lower level, but more flexible and better for real-time things. So, Where is that used in? That's used in... Uh, AirPods, for instance, they use that for commands, uh, such as changing listening modes and things like that. Gotcha. Uh, okay. And many devices use that. Um, so A2DP, uh, you can use it, you can have multiple channels uh, that can be opened at the same time, and you can use each channel for different types of data streams. So yeah, that can be used for that sort of stuff. So as you can see, it's it's real. it can become really complicated depending on which device it is that you're wanting to talk to, and you, the way you have to interact with the device will highly depend on the device itself. So if you're writing an app 
let's say you you work at uh, some fitness company and they have like a f- little fitness band and you want to make an iOS app for the fitness band, you're going to have to be working with the team that makes the actual hardware and the firmware for the fitness band. And that's how you're going to learn how it works and what type of data you have to send it and what type of data it can send to you. So it's uh, highly dependent on the hardware that you're talking to. Yeah. The, that's what I found. I mean, I've worked on projects with exercise devices and that was it. It's like you work closely with that team as they're building the, the exercise equipment and figure out, you know, they, they were communicating with me. Here's a characteristic code. Here's the service code, et cetera. And like, yeah, that's kind of the way to do it. Are there some like good resources out there where you were able to find out like certain codes or certain characteristics and how, how standard are they? I guess. You do have a set of uh, predefined services and characteristics. Uh, I guess we should maybe explain quickly what they what that means uh, for yes. people who are not familiar with Bluetooth. So with Bluetooth Low Energy, which we call BLE, you have a, basically a tree structure that represents all of the characteristics. And in the, I'm not saying Bluetooth characteristics, I mean what a device has and it's structured in services, characteristics, and descriptors. So you can think as, uh, as uh, you can think of services as like folders, and the characteristics are files, and descriptors are the metadata for the files, basically. And some uh, devices will have just one service and one characteristic, and that's it. So others will have multiple services, and a given service can have. Lots and lots of characteristics uh, within the service, and the characteristics can have descriptors that you use to configure and learn about those characteristics. And there are a, a set of standardized services and characteristics. Of, uh, you can find that uh, on the Bluetooth website, Bluetooth assigned numbers. But many devices will use custom ones, uh, and Apple devices have lots of custom ones and. Other third-party devices also will will have different uh, services and characteristics. So there is uh, one example of a standard service is a device information service. And uh, inside the device information service, you have a characteristic for device model, for instance. And iOS devices, they implement a service. So you can find out like if you find a nearby iOS device that's broadcasting over BLE, you can find out what model of iPhone that is based on reading that's that characteristic within the device information service. There's also a battery service that devices can uh, broadcast, which is a standardized one, and they will broadcast battery level and battery state. But in general, most devices will have uh, at least one custom service with custom characteristics and uh, Apple devices are, are no exception. How did you debug some of those characteristics or how, like what tools did you use and like, how did you figure out what you were looking for? Yeah. So with AirPods uh, specifically, I don't deal much with the, that layer uh, because the, the way uh, I talk to AirPods on the Mac uh, in terms of actually doing stuff with them, like uh, changing listening modes and things like that, is done through slightly higher level API. Okay. And the uh, commands such as changing listening modes and things like that are done through A2DP, but I don't have to go down to that layer because there are APIs on macOS that will do that for you. 
But in terms of actually finding the devices nearby and getting better information and things like that, that's all uh, Bluetooth Low Energy advertisements. So I, I don't even have to open a Bluetooth Low Energy connection to the device. I can just get the little packet, uh, which is usually like 29 bytes or something. Okay. And that has Let's all of the in. information that I need, yeah, uh, to decode that. And there are some additional things that I have to do to like figure out if the device is paired or not and find out what the address of the device is because okay. car Bluetooth doesn't expose device addresses to you. Uh, so I have to do some trickery to, to find out what the uh, Mac address, the Bluetooth Mac address of the AirPods is. And through that, I can figure out what, what name you have set them to and if they're paired with your Mac and whatnot. So I want to get into some tech support questions that I had and some of the folks in our audience have. So why does, and what's the best way to handle if I'm listening to my AirPods? Well, now I'm not, I'm using the mic obviously, but like there are a lot, most instances when I'm having my AirPods on, I'm also using it as a mic and there's audio quality differences. Do you know why that is? I don't know the underlying technical uh, details, but it's basically because you have to change the uh, audio codec that's being used okay. in order to enable the microphone. Uh, and I believe with Bluetooth 5, that's not n entirely necessary, uh, but I could be wrong. So uh, it's definitely possible that in the future we'll, we won't have that problem. And a problem many iOS developers face, uh, which has been plaguing us for since AirPods have become a thing, is when you have your AirPods connected to your Mac, sometimes when you launch the iOS simulator, for some reason, it will engage the microphone on the AirPods. <laughs> and if you're listening to music on your Mac, it will drop the, the quality of the music. That's weird. Yeah. Like what I end up doing is I just pick like the internal mic, like just to make sure like my, my audio like quality stays good when I'm listening to music and working on stuff. That's what everybody does for you, basically. Uh, so there is okay. this feature on everybody and it's on by default where if you connect your AirPods to your Mac, it will attempt to switch the microphone input away from your AirPods. Nice. Uh, it, 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 it does that for you. But of course, if you want to join a video conference with your AirPods, that you might not be ideal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but everybody has connection modes, so you can configure different connection yep. modes. And when you connect, you can you can pick like I have one that I call meeting, basically, and that will enable transparency mode and enable the microphone. Nice. So it, it helps you with that as well. But it's not enough sometimes because it doesn't handle. Uh, when you are actively using uh, your AirPods with your Mac and some other event causes the microphone to engage, uh, such as, I don't know, launching the iOS simulator, for instance. Yeah. So it doesn't do like constant uh, mic input switching. It just does it at the time of connection. And I do have feature requests for it to do that constantly. But as you might imagine, there are challenges there because what if you actually want to enable the, the microphone? Uh, it can become a little bit of a chicken and egg situation where like, yeah, I noticed that the microphone has switched to the AirPods, but how do I know if that was intentional or if that was just some fluke? Yeah. 
I hate the auto switching. Like that's my mm-hmm. biggest pet peeve is like, especially when I've got a kid playing on the iPhone and all of a sudden my music goes away, but now I hear their game and it's like, yeah, it, that's not a really well. Can we feature. talk about auto switching? Yes. Please. I really hate that feature. I, I hate it. Like yes. I, I really, really hate it. Not only because it, it causes trouble to me personally when I'm trying to use my devices, but also because I get blamed by issues caused by oh, auto switching. No. So you know when you have auto switching enabled and you're using your Mac with your AirPods on, it will constantly be showing you that annoying notification. So and so AirPods Pro nearby. So and so AirPods Pro nearby all the it. freaking time. And you can't disable them. There is absolutely no way to disable the notifications the nearby prompt you can't disable how tell me no no i'm I'm gonna change my life so it's it's the prompt (laughs) oh i thought you were (laughs) you're gonna tell me how to disable them (laughs) so the prompt i'm asking the prompt you can't disable but you can disable auto switching yeah yeah auto switching you can totally disable and when you disable auto switching the prompt also goes away so after apple introduced this feature i got you wouldn't believe how many support emails i got of people I, I got like one person was super angry. They were like, you are throwing <laughs> this fake notification. It's not even a, a real notification. You're oh, faking no. a notification so that I can't disable it. You suck. Like, no, I'm not. This is the system that's <laughs> messing with you. So, yeah, I, I it's just, really it should have been it. shipped that feature. I, I don't like it's not practical, especially when like, yeah, you have multiple people using devices. That's my biggest thing is like, I'll have somebody playing a game and all of a sudden I'm listening to the darn game. That's like being played in the other room. And I'm like, it's not your fault. Yeah, and it happens on the Apple TV now with uh TVOS 15 since TVOS 15. So sometimes I'll have like, my boyfriend is going to be upstairs watching some movie and I'm going to go downstairs to like do the laundry or something using my AirPods. And then later he'll be like, oh, your AirPods kept popping up on the Apple TV. <laughs> I want to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Revenue Cat. Revenue Cat has made it easier for app developers to build, analyze, and grow in-app purchases and subscriptions on iOS, Android, and the web. There's no server code required. With a few lines of code, get in-app purchase infrastructure, analytics, and integrations without managing servers. When you're building an app, you want to focus on your app the design, the look, and being able to take a look at how your users are using your app. What RevenueCat does is it takes that burden away. It makes in-app purchases easier. With their automated reporting tools, you get out-of-the-box analytics for key subscription metrics. This gives you the insight you need to grow your app. There's subscription analytics, customer lists, filters, and segments, and all sorts of plugins with different APIs so you can get started and analyze your customers and get a hold of them today. Focus on your app and your design. Go to revenuecat.com to check out how to get started today, as well as their YouTube channel in the link below. They show you how to get started whether you want to use a CocoaPod or Swift package and integrate RevenueCat into your app. Also, you'll want to check out my episode with Andy, who talks about some of the new stuff that's come out with StoreKit too. Now, it may make it a lot easier for you, but Revenue Cat is going to make sure that you have that long-term growth and be able to look at how your app works and how subscriptions can be used and utilized for greater income. Try Revenue Cat today, and thank you again, Revenue Cat, for sponsoring today's episode. 
So they, there's a notification on the Apple TV. There is. There is. Uh, it's um, really annoying. So the way auto switching works uh, or doesn't work in this case is the the devices will keep a a low level data connection to the AirPods at all times. Okay. So you will have your AirPods connected to both your iPhone, your Mac, and your iPad as long as they're nearby. Of course, they're gonna stay connected. They will have this low level data connection, and there's a system on on there's a demon on the system that will be looking for the state of your AirPods uh, to determine based on several heuristics when it might want to switch from one device to the other. And it just doesn't work. Uh, and the way it's supposed to work, at least the way I would implement it, uh, would be to check if the device is currently idle. So if you have your AirPods and you're not currently playing any music on them or playing any, or using the microphone or anything like that, which are things you can observe. Uh, if you open the pop-up window in AirBuddy, you'll see that it tells you currently listening to music or currently uh playing uh using the microphone and the way i would do it is if they aren't doing any of that then i would offer the user the option to switch i would offer a way to disable those notifications because they can become annoying i know many people who use their airpods pro with noise canceling on and th- just that they're not playing anything they don't want to play anything they just want to use the, the noise, noise cancellation cancel. feature yeah mm-hmm. And if you do that nowadays with auto switching on, you will see that pop up like dozens of times within a minute, uh, wanting you to connect your AirPods. And something else that I noticed is if there's whatever minor glitch in the Bluetooth uh, stack, so anything that causes like the Bluetooth stack to kind of do a little reset or they lose the AirPods for, for a, a second or so, the system that handles the auto switching will get confused and it will think that your AirPods were gone and that they are back and will show you the notification. So <laughs> it, it really, it, it was really badly implemented. And yeah. I feel like I, I would guess that like probably 90% of issues that people have with AirPods are related to auto switching in some way or another. Right, right. So disable auto switching everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which sucks because you have to like go to every device and do it. So the other question I had is, I I use the music app, and when I prompt go to the little AirPlay icon, I posted this in the docs. But like, what's the difference between selecting the AirPods and selecting the Mac, which is playing the music? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you have your AirPods connected to your Mac. Uh, and then in music, it will show your Mac and yes. the AirPods and yes. the AirPods as a standalone device. I think that's just, um, it's basically a product of how the, I think it's called the media remote uh, system works. Uh, so media remote is this protocol that Apple devices use to know what's playing on another device. And so that you can like tell uh, something to play on a HomePod or skip tracks on a HomePod and things like that. Because if, if you look at the music app, it, it'll also show you HomePods. Although the Mac also shows them now, but 
Or it shows another Mac now, right? Because Monterey is yeah. airplane to another device, Mac, yeah. I guess. So, yeah. Yeah, and that's also done all through media remotes. That's the system. Okay. And the way it, it works is that it will group multiple devices together. Uh, so if your Mac is playing to your AirPods, you can think of like your Mac become your your Mac and your AirPods become a quote AirPlay destination. It's not AirPlay. It's just the way to explain it. So mm -hmm. whenever you like grouped, let let's say you're playing something uh, on a HomePod, uh, not a stereo pair, and then you also check like another HomePod, they kind of become a single device that groups both HomePods. It's okay. kind of like the same thing, uh, it, okay. and but of course it shouldn't show up in the UI like that because it's kind of exposing the underlying implementation details and you shouldn't okay. have to care about it. But that's the best way I can explain it. I, I, I'm pretty sure that's what's happening there. So we had a question from Wanted Chaos One. How does Apple handle five or more Bluetooth audio outputs via the audio MIDI setup multi-output device? Isn't Bluetooth 5 technically only capable of two concurrent streams? Yeah, that is true. Uh, Bluetooth 5.0 can do things uh, such as two concurrent streams. So if you Before, have, say... Which which AirPods support Bluetooth 5? I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. I think okay. the H1 chip is Bluetooth 5. I could okay. definitely okay. be wrong. I just wanted to address I, that. Yeah. I believe, okay. uh, I believe uh, the H1 chip is already Bluetooth 5, but uh, don't quote me on that. We'll put it in there. So you can do two concurrent streams. So for instance, let's say devices that are composed of multiple parts, such, are, such as AirPods, which have the left and right bud, you can do a stream for each bud separately instead of doing the way it works now, which is one bud will be the primary and we will stream to the secondary. I think that's still how they work. I don't think Apple is using any of the Bluetooth uh, 5 stuff. So uh, that's a really long way to say that I don't know how they do that. Uh, <laughs> some crazy multiplexing thing. We also have to keep in mind that uh, H1 is a custom SOC. So we don't really know what they're doing in there. There could be some extensions on top of the standard Bluetooth uh, 5. Well, of course, there are custom protocols on top of it, but there could be some other tricks that they're doing in order to enable that. But I haven't tried it out myself. I should definitely try that. I, I, It's been a while since I opened Audio Media Setup here on my Mac. <laughs> yeah, same here. So we had a couple of questions, or one big question, I guess, from Gilbert. He asks, I'd love to unwrap what I perceive as a constant decline in Apple wireless audio connection reliability, particularly devices with H1 chips. Uh, I own first generation, second generation AirPods, AirPods Pro, Pro Beats Pro, uh, Power Beats Pro, AirPods Max, and now Bits Fit Pro. Bits Fit Pro, all with issues except very first AirPods. It doesn't seem to to be just me and not my own selection bias, as more and more people are complaining about things like one side not pairing, desyncing, random disconnects. So I'd love to know if there's something to it and get a better understanding of the technical reasons. Yeah, that's a very good question. And I think uh, there are many different factors at play here. Uh, one of them definitely is auto switching, like we mentioned. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, when people talk about random disconnects, uh, they're probably talking about 
auto-switching misbehaving. That's usually the underlying culprit uh, from my experience. Like sometimes I'll be listening because I do leave auto-switching enabled on one of my Macs and on my iPhone because I have to make sure that everybody will work as as well as, as he can with auto-switching. And sometimes I'll be listening to a podcast with my AirPods Pro on my iPhone and I'll pause the podcast to focus on an email or something. And then two minutes later, I'll go and press play on my iPhone and it'll take like 15 seconds to start playing again because in the meantime, my Mac connected to my AirPods because it thought I wasn't using it on my iPhone anymore. And I feel like that's what people interpret as uh, random disconnects, which is correct. Like in, in reality, in practice, that's what's happening. It's randomly disconnecting. So I would say, number one, disable auto-switching on all devices. Uh, and this is also important. You have to disable it on all devices. So if you have auto-switching enabled on your iPhone, you have to go to Bluetooth settings with your AirPods Pro connected, go to the little eye icon and disable it there, connect them to your Mac, go to system preferences, disable it there. So you have to disable it on each device independently, which uh, really sucks. Also, there's uh, been uh, a lot of issues on the Mac specifically. Uh, I don't know if this person... uh, is talking about the Mac as well, or if they only use iPhone and iPad, but uh, specifically on the Mac, which, uh, as you might imagine, I've uh, had a bit of experience with. The first crop of M1 Macs uh, had the really Bluetooth bad issues. Bluetooth issues. Oh, yeah. I still have really bad. I've had Bluetooth issues with Monterey on my iMac, which is Intel. Well, mm-hmm. I don't want to get into that, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, there are lots of things that that have been going on. So first of all, Apple has been reworking the Bluetooth stack on macOS to be more closely equivalent to the one on iOS uh, because historically they've had very different implementations of Bluetooth and that has caused many, many issues and uh, including like security vulnerabilities, because if there's a security issue with a protocol that has a different implementation on the Mac and on iOS, then Apple engineers have to fix it in both. And of course, that can also increase the surface area for security issues. So there's that. And now the hardware is more aligned, at least with Apple Silicon, the SOC is kind of more more similar, I guess. So that might help too. But at the same time, uh, they are unifying the Bluetooth stack, but macOS uh, gives developers access to the Bluetooth Classic layer, which iOS does not. And Bluetooth Classic is this old Bluetooth uh, that... uh, So basically the older Bluetooth protocols, non-BLE protocols, they are still very much in use for peripherals like mice, keyboards, trackpads, and audio devices as well. Like your AirPods are are a Bluetooth Classic device as well. They're both Bluetooth Low Energy and Bluetooth Classic at the same time. I know it's confusing. Uh, So (laughs) the Mac exposes Bluetooth Classic to developers that are uh, through the IO Bluetooth API uh, and IO Bluetooth UI. And underneath uh, the IO Bluetooth API, uh, I have noticed that since, I think, Big Sur or maybe even it started with Catalina, 
the IO Bluetooth API is actually talking to car Bluetooth under the hood. Okay. It didn't used to be the case. So the so-called classic layer is actually talking to the newer, higher abstraction level. That's Is that what you're saying? Kind of, yeah. Of course, it's using... It's using lower level private API uh, for right. that. Like uh, the API that it uses is not like CB Central Manager or anything like that. It's using other things uh, under the hoods um, that under the hood talk to the Bluetooth daemon, which is what does everything. So Core Bluetooth is basically like a thin client on top of the Bluetooth daemon. And it just sends messages to the Bluetooth daemon and gets uh, stuff back. Uh, it's It's kind of fascinating if you install the bluetooth logging profile that you can get on on the apple developer website you can go to your uh, console app on the mac and you can or even you can install it on your ios device and then you can uh filter by bluetooth d which is the bluetooth daemon and show all messages you can see everything that's going on with the bluetooth stack and and what bluetooth is seeing all of the devices that it's finding the characteristics the services so you asked about the bugging earlier that's a really good way to debug uh, those profiles are meant for apple to fix issues for you with uh, sysdiagnosis, diagnosis but you can also do the same yourself uh, if you're a developer that's uh, really interesting so with the unification of these uh, stacks you might imagine it's it's really complicated. It's it's a very complex system. macOS used to have multiple daemons that dealt with Bluetooth, and I think there are only two now. So all of this stuff, plus the hardware change of going to M1, and I think there had been some changes to antenna hardware as well, meant that lots of issues cropped up, and I think Apple is still uh, working on fixing all of them. I must say, I feel like it's become a lot better uh, on my M1 Mac Mini. I used to have trackpad issues all the time. Like my trackpad would become choppy and I would have to like restart my trackpad for it to, to go back to life. Uh, and it hasn't happened in a while. So I think it's... My mouse on my Mac, uh, my iMac, my Intel iMac has been super choppy lately and it'll disconnect and reconnect. I've had that happen before and... Which mouse? I do like it. What? Uh, just Magic Mouse. Uh, no, I asked because there are whatever the latest mouse was. There are some specific uh, mouse models that have been very problematic. Um, the M1, uh, not M1, MX Master. Is that the name? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Logitech from one Logitech. Loves. Yeah. Yeah. Those uh those have experienced lots of issues, including uh I have currently if you use an M MX Master mouse and you use AirBuddy, I would strongly recommend not not enabling magic handoff on AirBuddy because the Bluetooth communication that AirBuddy does for magic handoff somehow interferes with the MX Master mouse. Okay. And I still believe that it's the fault of the mouse and not mine because I'm basically just using car Bluetooth uh, as yeah. one would normally. No, so that my... shouldn't be able to interfere with the mouse. But yeah, if you have the MX Master mouse and, and you use AirBuddy, uh, don't enable that until version 2.5 is out. <laughs> no, my my wife uses it on her work computer here and that's Windows. So that's, that's not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> She's safe. Um, at least yeah. from that issue. <laughs> from that issue, right, exactly. What have you found is the difference between blue, 
talking to Bluetooth. We kind of touched upon it, talking to Bluetooth and talking and doing networking. What are some of the big differences? So uh, I think the difference is that you can think of Bluetooth as lower level. Even though Core Bluetooth is a fairly high level API, it's, uh, it's easy to understand. The data is all in binary, yeah. Exactly. And not just that, but it's kind of like the difference, uh, maybe not as extreme, but the difference between using something like C and using assembly. Uh, you have to tell it everything, every single step you have to coordinate. And every single failure that might happen, you have to deal with it. It's not like with networking where you have your L session and you don't have to like figure out how you're going to get the IP address of the domain that you want to talk to. And <laughs> you don't have to figure out if the device should use Wi-Fi or uh, 4G to connect to that server. And you don't have to deal with what if uh, yeah. the TCP okay. packets uh, doesn't arrive? Like you don't have to deal with any of that with your L session, but you only have to deal with did it work or did it not work? And with right. Bluetooth, with car Bluetooth, you have to worry about every single step of the process. So even if you have a device where you can structure things in a request response way, which you can totally model on top of Bluetooth low energy. Mm -hmm. You can create a higher level API for yourself that looks like URL session, but you will have to implement all of that lower level stuff uh, yourself. What if you found any good methodologies as far as like encoding and decoding data to and from binary? I, uh, I, it's something that I feel like uh, is a, a big uh, thing that's missing on my knowledge. Okay. Uh, regarding Swift specifically, I just it, it just doesn't fit my head the way Swift does all the unraw, safe, mutable, whatever stuff. I really yeah, yeah, can't yeah. wrap my head around it. Uh, I should definitely study and work on that a bit more. The I'm I'm a bit old school in in that sense because for everybody 2.5 where i uh, i am parsing the bluetooth low energy advertisements from airpods manually from core bluetooth i have a c struct that i i basically okay. shove the bytes into that c struct and that's how i parse it because yeah. it's so elegant right it's almost like codable in in a way because you define the struct with the right sizes and the right alignments and everything just shows up in there and of course even with the struct that i get from from the c level code it's still very low level of values like um integers and things like that and i have to do some uh interpretation on top of, the, of it and that part is all swift but i just couldn't find an easier way to parse a sequence of bytes that always has a specific structure that was easier than than just shoving it into a C struct. And of course, you have to be really careful without checking bounds and things like that because that's where crashes and security vulnerabilities can arrive if you if you don't take care of that. But it's such a simple uh, struct and there's, there's so little in terms of bytes that I have to deal with that I just couldn't be bothered with finally learning how to do that stuff in Swift, which I feel like I understand why it's more complicated than in C. There are lots of benefits, but yeah, I still prefer C structs for, for that. Yeah, like the way I had seen it done was just going through the array and like 
like getting index ranges and pulling it that way and then reading it out. But that I never thought about using a C struct. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and they uh, map into Swift quite nicely, actually, right, uh, right. after you do the reading. So one thing we touched upon with Leah, which was like very early on, um, was all the new stuff that had come out with nearby interaction. And now we have air tags that use them. What other like wireless technologies should developers be aware of and how to take advantage of them? I'm a big fan of what I call um, uh, on Stacktrace uh, environmental computing, which is this concept of all of your devices being aware of each other. Uh, and I have uh, lots of really cool ideas, which I probably will never be able to implement unless I go work <laughs> at Apple, which I don't plan to. So I think you should definitely pay attention to every uh, wireless technology that's available on Apple devices if you're an Apple developer. The main new one that's still very new and unexplored is uh, the U1 chip. So it's a new technology that can be used for data transfer, and but it's mostly used for spatial orientation. Right. If you look at the nearby interaction framework, it'll give you stuff like, oh, it's this direction, five meters, and like kind of what AirTags kind of tell you on your iPhone, basically. Yeah, exactly. And I spaced out a bit here. I was trying to remember the name of the technology, and it's ultra wideband. That's the name of the yes, technology. Yes. Um, so yeah, you can uh, basically know a very with a fair bit of precision uh, direction between a device and another device. And Apple is exposing that to us via the nearby interaction framework on iOS. I still. I don't like the way they approached nearby interaction and I understand why they did it that way uh, because Facebook is a thing. I guess Meta is a thing. But <laughs> with the first version of nearby interaction, which I believe was introduced last year with iOS 14, you had to ask for permission every single time you wanted to use nearby interaction. Interesting. Okay. Which, of course, you don't have to do when you run Find My, but, you know, that's... Yeah, yeah. And also, you don't have to do when you use other things such as Bluetooth, which you do have to ask for permission. And, I mean, it makes perfect sense that you have to. Like, with Bluetooth Low Energy running, if you have a Bluetooth Low Energy uh, app on iOS you can gather a lot of data about a given user if you want to because you can communicate with devices that are paired to the iPhone and like you can know if this person has AirPods and if they are currently near next to some device or something like that. So it is a privacy thing. They did add that, the, the permission, like for more like the marketing purposes behind Bluetooth. Because we found out, was it iOS 14 where we found out that a bunch of apps were using Bluetooth to basically figure out where you are and if you're in their store? Like, yeah, I've seen that. Oh, what was the new app? Pik Pikmin Bloom, which is like the Pikmin derivative of Pokemon Go. Oh my gosh. I I, I'm a big fan of Pikmin and I wanted to try it out. And uh, yeah, it was asking for Bluetooth permissions. It was asking for location information. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this is, I'm not going this route. Cause I could tell like what it was using Bluetooth for. And I could see, like you said, why they're, they're letting you, they're making you ask permissions with the nearby interaction stuff. Yeah. I really feel like um, there's a need to rethink the permission system on iOS a little bit. 
not to make it more permissive because we know that there are developers who are going to abuse this stuff. So it, it has to exist. But I, I feel like maybe the current uh, approach where you just see a bunch of pop-ups is kind of nasty. Uh, and I will say that uh, from a developer's perspective, not a user's perspective, but from a developer's perspective, I much prefer the way Android handles it which is they have and like i could be wrong i only wrote like one android app uh, and it was a bluetooth low energy app so basically you have a single uh system so you have a unified api where you can ask for any permission you don't have to like with ios if you want bluetooth permissions you have to by the way, there is no way to explicitly ask for Bluetooth permission. It asks on your behalf when you instantiate a CP central manager or a CP peripheral manager, which I think is a pretty bad API design because I might want to have my CP central manager instantiated by the time my app launches, but I won't necessarily want to actually ask for permission until a certain point within the use of my app. So we end up having, uh, I end up having in my Swift code optional CB central manager properties all the time because I don't want to instantiate them before it's time. So, but that's another issue. So on iOS, you have to, you want Bluetooth permission, you have to do it through car Bluetooth. You want camera permission, you have to do it through AV foundation. If you want photo library, you have to use photo kits uh, and so on and so forth. On Android, you have like a single permission framework or API where you can ask for these different types of permissions. And each different API on iOS models, and this applies to the Mac as well, they they model their permission in a different way, and the API is also structured in a different way. So in some circumstances, it's synchronous. In other cases, it's asynchronous. And in some cases, the completion is called on the main queue, and in other, it's not. So it's kind of a pain to to deal with. And also, the from the user's perspective, and uh that way we come back to nearby interaction. So back last year, you had to ask for permission every time. With iOS 15, you only have to ask for, for, for permission once, just like every other permission works on iOS. And But the problem is that in order to establish a nearby interaction uh, session between two devices, you have to exchange some data in some other way. So you need a side channel, basically. You, and you, of course, you can't use nearby interaction for that because, well, first of all, the API of nearby interaction doesn't allow you to exchange arbitrary data. And okay. second, you don't have the nearby interaction session. So it's a bit of a, uh, yeah, that, there's no way to, yeah, exactly. There's no way. I, always, I already said chicken and egg in this episode. I didn't want to say it again. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you uh, have the situation. So, how could you do that? So nearby interaction, if you think about it, it's all about devices that are next to each other. It doesn't really make much sense for devices that are not right next to each other. So I wonder what would be a good, efficient way to exchange data between two devices that are right next to each other. Bluetooth low energy or maybe multi-peer connectivity, both of which require a permission. So for Bluetooth Low Energy, you need Bluetooth Low Energy permission. And for multi-peer connectivity, you want you need that uh, once to talk to devices on your local network permission, which uh, was added in iOS 14. So basically, 
if your app wants to use nearby interaction, you have to ask the user for two permissions. And if you don't get the first one, so your side channel one, you have you, you your permission of nearby interaction makes no sense, basically. So I, I feel like that's really bad design, not just API design, not just developer experience design, but also user experience design. Because if the user gives your app permission to use nearby interaction, it's implicit that they trust your app to talk to nearby devices. So I feel like almost uh, there should be um, a, a way for you to, or Apple should group nearby interaction and like automatically give you Bluetooth permission alongside the nearby interaction one, or maybe the multi-peer connectivity permission right. alongside right. That makes the sense. other one. Because it doesn't make sense for, for nearby interaction to exist without the other one. Of course, you could exchange that data through the internet, but that's that makes no sense. Like, I refuse to do that. It's just ridiculous when you are... Put it in a cloud kit and then... Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. You're doing something that's completely local, completely like... You can imagine a completely offline experience with nearby interaction, but you can't actually do it in a practical way because you have to ask for these two permissions and one depends on the other, so... Yeah, it's kind of a mess, and that put to rest all of my ideas I had for nearby interaction. I actually shared on Twitter a prototype that I made for Chibi Studio, which is my iOS app, where you could point a device to another that has the editor open, and it will like suck the Chibi out of the other device with a really cool animation. And it totally works, but I just can't be bothered to ship it because I like I would have to ask for two permissions in order to do that simple interaction. It's like the what's a Nintendo little toy thing that you can hit Amiibo? With. Thank you. Yeah. Kind of like that. Yeah. You mentioned multi-peer connectivity. How does that stuff work? So uh, multi-peer connectivity is an API that allows you to talk to nearby Apple devices that are running your app. And it doesn't have to be your app. It can even be another app that, that uses the same service as your app. Okay. And you can advertise. It uses Bonjour under the hood. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Bonjour. It's a really old technology yeah. by Apple. And it's basically a way for devices to be able to learn about each other on a local network without uh, needing to know the IP address of the other device. Okay. And this builds on top of... Many uh, internet uh, standards like STAN and ICE, which are so STAN is like a, a a way to it's basically a utility library sort of thing for discovery of devices that can work over the internet as well. But multi peer connectivity okay. is all about local networking. So basically, what you can do with multi peer connectivity is kind of similar to what you can do with Bluetooth Low Energy. But instead of using the Bluetooth chip, it's going to be using Wi-Fi. Okay. And uh, it's basically multi, multi-peer because it's peer-to-peer wireless over Wi-Fi. So the devices don't have to be on the same Wi-Fi network. They don't have to be connected to Wi-Fi at all. If Wi-Fi is on, they can talk to each other. I think used to be able to use Bluetooth Flow Energy as well, but I don't think that's currently happening. I don't think okay. I think they they moved away from that, but I could be wrong. So in general, it's a framework from Apple where 
you can talk to other devices that are running your app uh, and you can exchange data between them. It's a lot more flexible than Bluetooth Low Energy because you don't have size restrictions on the data. And it's also a lot faster because it's using Wi-Fi instead of Bluetooth and Wi-Fi is faster. So you can basically implement uh, something like AirDrop over multi-peer connectivity because it has basically three ways to send data. You can send arbitrary data blobs, so a data object. uh, And you can imagine that with Codable that allows for uh, custom data to be sent quite easily. You can send you can send resources, so files uh, from a URL, and it will arrive at the other side as a local file URL that you can copy into your app container, just okay. like uh, URL session downloads work. And you can also uh, open uh, a you can open like a, a dual stream between the two devices so that you can stream data. So you can think of like streaming video between devices or streaming audio between devices. And it is performant enough that you could totally do that sort of thing. And I have written a wrapper around multi-peer connectivity, which I call multi-peer kit. And it's basically a, a nice swift wrapper around multi-peer connectivity, which is a fairly old API as well and all delegation based. And what multi-peer kit does is it, gives you a transceiver object that you can configure with uh, several different options and you can then send anything that's codable between devices and you can register a closure on the on the device that will receive a specific type of codable thing. Uh, so we'll leave a link, a link in the show notes. And yeah, I'm actually sure. currently working on um, new APIs based on the new async await stuff, which is yeah. really I, cool. I saw that coming, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just, two more questions. One was, how how behind the scenes, you, spoke, you just mentioned AirDrop, but like how behind the scenes does Apple decide whether it should communicate with your other device via Bluetooth or via Wi-Fi or via multi-peer or A1? Like, is there? Do you know if there's like a methodology to it where it's like, oh, AirDrop, we can see the devices right here. We'll use Bluetooth to send this, or oh, we can we know the IP address so we can send it via Wi-Fi. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So the way most of these um, things work uh, uh, is the way that I'm actually doing it in AirBuddy 2.5, which is in beta right now. So I used to do all of the. So AirBuddy has this feature where you can. Uh, send peripherals, mice, keyboards, trackpads between two Macs running AirBuddy. And you can also see the battery level of your other Macs that are running AirBuddy if they're nearby. So it doesn't use the internet. It doesn't rely on the internet. It just relies on them being next to each other. And the way I used to do it was using Bluetooth Low Energy. But due to limitations of Bluetooth Low Energy in terms of how much data you can exchange and also the issue with interference with some devices when you use it a little bit more heavily, which I talked about before, I decided to switch over to multi-peer connectivity. But the problem with that, so multi-peer connectivity under the hood is using something called AWDL, which is, I believe, stands for Apple Wireless Direct Link, which is this Apple technology for Wi-Fi peer-to-peer, basically. And the way it works is is basically by multiplexing these peer-to-peer communications uh, on top of your existing 
Wi-Fi uh, network, uh, not the network, but the, the radio, basically. And uh, of course, your Mac only has, uh, at least I think most Macs only have one Wi-Fi antenna, which is many times also shared with Bluetooth as well. So you might imagine that could cause issues. You have coexistence issues there. Uh, and one of those issues might be, depending on the type of Wi-Fi connection that you currently have, if you are advertising and, and looking for nearby devices over AWDL, uh, which is what uh, AirDrop uses and what multi-peer connectivity also will use behind the scenes, that can uh, cause problems with your Wi-Fi connection, your actual Wi-Fi connection to your network. Uh, so if you're downloading something, you might see a little slowdown on, on the download because your your max Wi-Fi radio and antenna are having to multiplex all of this uh, different data that's happening at the same time. Um, so it, it's, it's uh, a bit of a problem. So the way Apple does it is they do not advertise or look for other Macs or whatever iOS device using AWDL for this uh, efficiency reason in terms of uh, preserving your bandwidth, but also because it's less power efficient than Bluetooth Low Energy. And the way they do it is by using Bluetooth Low Energy. So basically, when you open the share sheet on uh, your iPhone or when you open the AirDrop in Finder on, on the Mac, it starts uh, broadcasting a particular thing over Bluetooth Low Energy that tells nearby Apple devices to wake up their AWDL interface. So they use Bluetooth Low Energy for signaling, but they use Wi-Fi for the actual data transmission. Okay. Uh, and I'm not entirely sure if, if AirDrop can use Bluetooth for data transmission? I don't think it can. I think if you have okay. Wi-Fi off, it will tell you that you have to enable Wi-Fi. Maybe used to, but I don't think it does at the moment. So, like, if something doesn't show up in AirDrop, it's probably because it didn't get the signal to wake up. It's AWDL, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And that's why okay. also sometimes, probably this has probably happened to you. It, it does happen to me every now and then. I'll open AirDrop on one of my Macs and I want to send something to my other Mac. If I, uh, and it doesn't show up, the other Mac. If I open AirDrop on the other Mac as well, then it shows up. Mm, That's because yeah. by opening it on the other Mac, the other Mac also uh, engaged its AWDL uh, interface and started okay, that makes sense. broadcasting. Uh, and of course, if you have it set to contacts only and things like that, then there's also a lot of uh, encryption right. and security stuff going on, and that can also go wrong. But in general, the way they do it is to use Bluetooth Low Energy for signaling and AWDL, so Wi-Fi for data transmission. And that's also what I'm doing in Airbuddy 2.5. I basically solved the problem of the too much Bluetooth uh, traffic by doing the same thing, but I also can't be advertising and looking for nearby Macs over AWDL, which is multi-peer connectivity, all the time, because that will also cause issues. But instead of causing issues with Bluetooth, it will cause issues with Wi-Fi. So it turns out radio communications are complicated. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think, like, uh, of course, if you're an iOS developer and you want to use multi-peer connectivity to do some fun experience uh, with multiple devices running your app... You don't have to worry about this because on iOS, 
your app is going to be in the foreground. Multi-peer connectivity does not work in the background on iOS. So the user will use your app. Yeah, maybe your the, the internet speed on that iPhone will be slightly slower at the time that you're doing that experience, which makes perfect sense. But then they'll close your app and that's done. But on the Mac, when you have something like AirBuddy, which is running 24-7 in the background, I have to be really careful with that stuff. Uh, and it's funny because the initial implementation of Magic Handoff that I shipped, uh, that I was going to ship with AirBuddy 2, it was like two weeks before I was uh, the scheduled release date for AirBuddy 2. I got the bug report that the person was using AirBuddy. And when they had the Magic Handoff feature enabled, the uh, Wi-Fi speed would drop significantly. <laughs> and you can That's imagine the panic that I faced. Yeah, so, <laughs> so then I switched over. Oh, okay, I can't, I can't use Wi-Fi. Let me just use Bluetooth. So that Bluetooth implementation was less ideal than I wanted it to be. Uh, and now, a year later, over a year later, I figured out... Uh, more sustainable way to do it going forward. Nice. Was there anything else you wanted to mention before we close out? I think that's good. Thank you so much, Guy, for coming on the show. Where can people find you online? I'm on Twitter. I'm at underline inside, uh, and you can find my writing at rambo.codes. And of course, you can also get AirBuddy. Uh, it's on uh, airbuddy.app. How often does Steric Trace come out? Every week, every Wednesday. Uh, so we're recording on a Wednesday. Should go out later today. Uh, and you can find that on uh, stacktracepodcast.fm or 9to5mac.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Guy, for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me again. People can find me on Twitter at LeoGDion. My company is Bright Digit. Take some time to like and subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube or if you're on a podcast player, post a review to Google Podcasts, iTunes, wherever you're listening. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I look forward to talking to you again. Bye. Bye.